0: Well, this morning, I want to invite us to, as we prepare for the word today, I would just invite you to be in a spirit of prayer. Lord God, as we now come to your word, we come with hearts open. Help us, Lord, to hear what you want to speak over us and to us. And Lord, as we hear those words, God, would you just imprint them on our hearts and give us faith to receive them and to walk in them. And, Lord, that as we go forth, that, Lord, we are changed because we have encountered you, and we have encountered you through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this month, we are starting a new series called Ghost Stories, Overcoming the Things That Haunt Us, and we find that within our lives, there are things that can rob us of our joy, they can rob us of our peace, they can make us feel at times incapable or incapacitate us. And so we're going to be looking, today we're going to look at insecurity, next week we'll look at fear, and then we're looking at doubt, and we're looking um, as well at grief. And so we're going to walk through and kind of look at those and how we might experience God's freedom in regards to them. Now, as we think about insecurity, it's interesting that they've done some research And what they tell us is that it's estimated that six out of ten people in the world struggle with insecurity. Six out of every seven people struggle. Now, you may not struggle at a high level and be one of those six, or you may be one at the top. So, you know, if you're here and you're one of those people that doesn't struggle with this at all, hey, thank you're blessed to be a part of the 1%, Okay. But the majority of us wrestle with it in some capacity. And the thing is, it's not a sin to feel insecure. It's not um, something we need to be ashamed of, but it does oftentimes affect us. And it can affect how we relate with people. So when we're insecure, really it kind of pops up in the way of we doubt our self-worth. We don't feel like we have much to offer you know, we sometimes feel like we're just not accomplishing what we could. And also what we find is whenever we're in this issue of self-insecure, in, I'll get my, ugh, in there. We feel like we maybe don't have much to offer in a crowd. Maybe you stood in a crowd and you think, man, I'm boring, or I'm uninteresting, or man, everybody's looking at my imperfection. And I see it, and I'm thinking about it, and so it can limit us highly. So really the deal is, though, where where, um, insecurity comes from, it comes from a lie, and the lie is this, um, that you are not enough, you're not enough, or I'm not enough, And, and that just can permeate us. And it can come from all kinds of places. It can come from past experience. It can come from a moment of rejection. It can come from trauma, being bullied. Um, It can come from um, just our own self-perception. Or it can come from we had a critical, somebody who was really significant in our life that was very critical over us. So those are some of the places that it can transpire. I know for me, I can think back in my own life, um, one of the moments that really sticks out for me was in kindergarten. And so I was, I was in kindergarten, and I'd gone to school that day, and, and, you know, as most kindergartners, you're still excited about going to school, and uh, I was at the table and talking to my friends, and they were all super excited. They were all going to a birthday party that day after the event, after school. And um, as I talked, and I found out everybody was going, but I had not gotten an invitation, and so my teacher saw it, and so she came, and she asked me what was wrong, and, and I shared with her, and she said, well, we can go down to the store, and, and we, can, we can buy a gift, and I'll call home and make sure it's okay. Well, my parents had gone on a trip, and so my grandmother was staying with me. We lived out in the country. This was before cell phones, and um, so she did try, and my grandma, for whatever reason, didn't answer the phone. And so, um, being uh, six years old and trying to uh, think through that, she said, well, it'll be okay. You can still go. And I said, I, I can't. So, I made the decision not to. And I, I'll never forget that scene that as I was sitting out in the, out of the playground in the front, waiting for the bus, and all of my classmates got in cars and went to the birthday party. Now, of course, the rest of the story was that um, she, the teacher had checked, and this kid had invited everybody in the class, including me. It's just that my invitation got missent to another kid in the class. And as a result, I was left out. Now, the, ir- the interesting thing about that I found in my life is that created a sense of I never was as worthy in my class with my classmates as everybody else. I always felt separated from them. Now, it's interesting, I mean, I became president several times of the class, and they would, you know, they treated me fine, but in my mind, I just was never up to the snuff and never quite fit in throughout that experience. And that's usually what happens with insecurity. Unfortunately, it causes us oftentimes to retreat. We start to live, maybe we start to live below our potential. We feel attacked. We're vulnerable, feel unappreciated more easily. Or we start to emotionally distance ourselves from one another or God. Because for some reason, I'm just not worthy. And it's a lie that gets set up in us. And there's a biblical story that I want us to walk through a little bit today. It actually covers much of a book of 1 Samuel, um, if you look at it. And it's about, a, there's a key, couple of key players in this story. And it starts out that in this particular time in J- Israel's history, that the Jewish nation is led by um, judges, which are like military leaders, Okay. And so the last one of these judges, his name was Samuel. And Samuel was a priest and a judge. He would consult God on behalf of the people. But the people had come to a point where they said, all of our other neighbors have kings. We want a king too. And so Samuel goes to God and he says, okay, Lord, what do I do about this? And he said, give him a king, and I will show you who that king is to be. And so in a series of events, God shows Samuel that a man named Saul, he's 30 years old, is to be the next king. And he has a conversation with Saul, Solomon does, or Samuel does, and and so Saul's kind of aware this is possibly coming. But then Samuel calls in all the tribes of Israel, and they come and they cast lots to decide who the next king is going to be. And guess what? The lot falls to a young man named Saul. And everybody's looking for Saul. They're trying to find him, but they can't find him anywhere. And so Samuel consults God. God, where is this guy Saul that's supposed to be king? And this is where we pick it up in the scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verse 23, Well, actually, it starts in 22. And it says, And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies, or the baggage. And they ran, and they brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And then the people shouted, Long live the king. And Samuel exclaimed to the people the rights and the duties of kingship. And he wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. And then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their homes. And Samuel, or Saul, also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But listen to this. But some scoundrels said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. I think that event in Saul's life played huge for the remainder of his life. And it set up in him... What already, when his spirit, he kind of had a fear of failure, it appears. He was kind of hiding out in the baggies because he he knew he was going to be king, and he didn't know if he really wanted that job. Am I really up to the task? And then when he was assigned, it's very interesting, isn't it, that Samuel, Saul, everybody's celebrating. Everybody says, Saul, we are so glad you're the man. You've got this. But then he hears these critical voices. Who is this guy? man, why has he been assigned to this particular job? How can this fellow save us? And he says he was silent. I think those words gnawed on Saul and became a seed in him of a lie that robbed him, as you're going to see, of his life. Now, Saul goes on, and he does pretty well. I mean, he actually becomes king. He actually has some victories in the battle. But Saul has another kind of flaw playing here in his life and that is that he trusts highly in Samuel, who was the past judge. And Samuel was a priest, and he relies on Samuel going to God on his behalf. In fact, there's a text that kind of implies that Saul says, you know, God is your God, Samuel. You go talk with God. Tell him what to tell me to do. It wasn't that he had owned that relationship himself. And so, He's, he's walking through his life, and he's doing his middle battles, and Samuel will tell him what to do, and, and then Saul will do it. But Saul starts to kind of live disobediently. He starts to do some things that God isn't pleased with. And as a result, finally God says, I've had enough Saul. I can no longer trust you as leader. I am going to put a new king in place, and you're going to be removed. And this set up a wall between Samuel and Saul's friendship to a place that it gets severed. And Saul never sees Samuel ever again, but he mourns that he never sees him. Maybe you had a good friend that something separated you in your life and you relied on them and now they're gone and that's what's happened with Saul. And so... Things are go along then for a while, but it says when this event happens, an evil spirit entered into Saul. And and I think it was these voices he was hearing inside of him. You're not worthy, you're not enough. You can't do this, that start to plague him. And it overtakes him to such a point that he's actually unbearable around the people. So they say, we gotta find some good music to tune this, to calm this guy down. So who's a good harpist, we know? Um, And so um, somebody says, I've heard this guy named David, let's bring him in. And now David um, is a young kid, and David actually, you will see later, does actually become king. But David never fights for the kingship. He never usurps Saul. He always surrenders to Saul's leadership. He follows him clear till the day that Saul dies. He never does anything to be unloyal to Saul. So David comes and he begins to play the harp, and all is going okay until David grows up, and now he's going to military battles, and one day he comes home, and Saul hears the women of the town saying, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And for a man who is fighting with insecurity, all of a sudden, this elevates in him. And he says, I can't trust David. David. He's going to take it away. He becomes paranoid, right? He's, he's worrying about this, and he's thinking all the time about, when is he going to take over my kingship? And he gets this negative self-talk going inside of himself, and he sees David as a threat. And so Saul tries to eliminate David. He tries to first send him off into some battle, so he'll get killed. And then eventually, Saul gets so paranoid, he actually tries to kill David himself, and David has to flee for his life. And Really, then, in the midst of all of this, is he's so, he's so overcome by this, he even retreats that he won't even tell anybody that he's trying to get rid of David. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but he won't even trust anybody with it telling about his insecurity. And so it eventually leads to his paralyzation. He just doesn't know how to live life anymore. Well, there's a battle coming and he, no, this battle's coming, and he's scared to death of what's going to happen. He doesn't want to know, know what to do, how to fight the battle. And he says, the only one I could trust is Saul, Samuel, and Samuel has died, and so he comes up with a plan. He says, you know what? He asks his advisors, he says, go find for me in the nation of Israel a witch. Go find a medium, somebody who can consult the dead to find out and raise up Samuel so I can find out what I'm supposed to do. I mean, he's a desperate man and especially when in the nation of Israel at this time and i mean all throughout Israel's history it was it was illegal to have a witch it was illegal to have anyone consulting the dead any kind of mediums psychics anything like that of the what would be of a cult nature but they find one woman and so they go into this witch of endor and she raises up this spirit which is assumed to be samuel and samuel tells saul you're going to die and Saul is just traumatized and Saul goes back to battle the next day and the war goes badly and his captives are upon him and he is so afraid that he decides, you know what, I've been told I'm going to die, so he just falls on his own sword. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for him. I mean, this is, goes over chapters, y'all. This is this guy's life. His insecurity played out in him and robbed him in serious ways. And what do we do? Now, I hope none of us are funding with insecurity at quite that level. But I want to share with you some things I think can help us if we find ourselves overcome by insecurity. How can we overcome it? And here's the first thing I would suggest for us. Ground your thoughts in truth. Ground your thoughts in truth. What is really real? Not what self or others think or say about us. That's really important for us. In Psalm 139, I want you to hear this. The first truth you need to hold on to and I need to hold on to is your value is not found in what you do or what you accomplish, but your value is found in God and what God says about you. Okay? Y'all grabbing hold of that? And here's what it says in Psalms 139. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So when you look outside and you see a beautiful sunset and you go, whoa, God, that is amazing, awesome work. Or you go to the mountains of Colorado and you see the beauty of the mountains, you go, whoa, that is awesome, Lord. Thank you for that incredible majesty you have made. You look at the squirrel out in your backyard and say, man, I love that squirrel, he's awesome, Lord, I'm so glad you made squirrels, except for when they crab on my, get on my roof and they start digging in my roof. I, I don't like them then. And when you look in the mirror with the same way you see that creation, you look back and see yourself that, man, God, you did good, thank you, that I am special and valuable. Now, there's many of us look in that mirror, and that's not what we see. But you need to hear that God says you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And you need to hold on to that truth, no matter what every other evil spirited, whatever voice would try to tell you. God wants you to live with a sense of value and worth. And He wants you to have security in that. So God has, and here's part of the deal, y'all. We need to hold with the truth that God has chosen to be in relationship with each one of us. He's been chosen to be in relationship with you. Because you know all know the verse, right, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, and guess what? The world includes you. God so loved you that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have life everlasting means. I like you so much I will come and die to put myself in right relationship with you so you can come live with me forever. You're pretty special. I just don't go die for anybody, y'all. It's really important, and I bet you don't either. And so we need to hold on to that. So when we're insecure, it's kind of helpful. Sometimes I find it myself... To step back and say, Lord, right now, I'm really buying into this lie, but would you please speak over me? Help me hear in my spirit what you think about me. Lord, would you just speak over me right now? And I'll tell you what, what God wants to say to you. God wants to say, you are worthy and I love you for who you are apart from anything you do or have done or any failure that you may think you have accomplished. And if you hear any other voice than that, I want you to know that is, a, that is a lie of an evil spirit of some sort. That is not God's voice over you. Because God has loved you with an everlasting love we find. So secondly, I would encourage us then to avoid comparing and looking for signs people love us. Avoid comparing ourselves and looking for signs people love us. Now, Facebook's a wonderful tool. I have no qualms. I'm not against Facebook or social media. It's, it can be a great way of connecting, but I do find, and you've heard me say this before, I do find Facebook can be really bad at helping us do the very thing we shouldn't do. You get on there, and we start to look at it. We say, wow, man, I wish I was having the life they have I wish I got to do what they did. I wish I had the family they had. I wish I had the money and the jobs and all the experiences they'd have. If I was maybe worth more, if I had more value, maybe in my life was better. If I was better, maybe I would have those things too. And it can set a life in us that we, we aren't getting that life because something is wrong with us. Or, I don't know if any of you post on Facebook, but if you post, you know, I've been guilty of this, where, you know, you see the birthday wishes, that's kind of a great day to get on Facebook to see who says what about you, right? And, and how many people said happy birthday, and you count them up, one, two, three, and you see the little number that tallies, or how many people gave you hearts or a thumbs up or a like on your post, right? And if you don't get too many, we go, whoa, that must just indicate nobody really cared. Nobody really likes me that much. We can, so don't, we don't want to go into that space and let that drive us. Here's a thing I learned from a sitcom, and, I, and I, it, it's the sitcom some of you may have watched called Schitt's Creek. Okay, yeah, I have watched it. Just letting you know. It's spelled differently. Yes. Don't ask me to spell it because I'll probably mess it up. But here's the deal. I remember one scene. There's one life lesson I've learned out of that show. And it is a conversation, I think David is going to take his driving test, if you know David is the son of the parents in this show, and David's going to go take a driving test. And he is freaking out. And his sister Alexa turns to him and says, people just aren't thinking about you that much, David, chill. Folks, the reality is, people are not thinking about you that much, We get into insecurity and we think everybody's thinking about me all the time. Now maybe, you know, I'm going to guess most of us will walk out of this church this morning and most of us will probably not think about most of us in this room again until next Sunday if you see them again, unless they're your spouse or the preacher really messes up the message. Um, So you will not probably remember most of this day, but we so many times think everybody is thinking about me. And they're thinking about my failures and my shortcomings and how I'm not this or that. Folks, people aren't thinking about you that much. <laughs> just just a, a, that, take encouragement. And if people are only loving you for whatever the X is, folks, that's the sins on them, not on you. That is not your sin. Because when I only hold somebody's value based on something, that's on me. And I think that's really important for us to know that trust that people do love you. There are people out there that love you based on who you are and not your performance. And know that God does as well. In Jeremiah 31, three, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. How long does that love last, y'all? It, I have drawn you with a what kind of Love. Unfest everlasting It doesn't run out. God loves you. Thirdly, put away negative self-talk. Folks, we listen far too much to a voice that comes to us that I don't think is of God. We need to choose to like ourselves. And that's a choice. I get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and go, really, God, couldn't you have done better? And say, no, thank you, God. Thank you that... I'm standing here in front of this mirror right now and I can see myself. Thank you that I am an incredible creation that is special in my own way. And some of the ways that help us with that, look for your good inner qualities. What what are good inner qualities about you? What about your character's good? What, What are some good values? Think about those things rather than the things oftentimes the world might evaluate around us. Evaluate based on effort rather than the outcome. So many times, you know, we're always thinking about, you know, you could kind of slide by in school. Isn't it funny, I remember back in school, well, my daughter actually, who's still taking a class, um, I, I, she'll, she'll say, man, I didn't have time to study, but I got 100, right? And she's super excited, right? Um, and you go, okay, good for you, right? But you know, so many times in our lives, when we think about it, you really worked hard at your job. You really worked hard on that teaching plan and, and you gave it your all and you went in and did your class and it just fell flat. And your first thought is, oh man, I'm a lousy teacher. Or we preachers do that, y'all. We, we preach, man, I worked on that sermon. I, I thought I had it in the bag and man, everybody fell asleep. And our thought is, man, I'm just not worth much. Folks, if you gave it your best, that's all God asks. He didn't ask for the results. That we have to place somewhere else. You just give it your best and live into that joy that you did what you could. Our value and worth come from Christ, um, not in what all we do for these things. There's a verse I just want to share with you very quickly in James 1, 9 through 10. It says, a Christian who doesn't amount to much in this world should be glad, for he is great in the Lord's sight. But a rich man should be glad that his riches mean nothing to the Lord, for he will soon be gone. You may think, what has that got to do with this? I think it's this. If you don't have much, then we celebrate, I find my identity and my worth is in Christ, because Christ has said, I am something special. And if you have riches and wealth, you realize those things really don't matter That really where I find my wealth is in Jesus. That because I'm a love child of God. That's where my value, my worth is. Fourthly, get feedback from people you trust. Get feedback from people you trust. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. It's okay to communicate your insecurities to somebody you trust. Let me give you a hint, though. Don't do this with somebody you're in competition with. Do it with somebody you really trust that loves you for who you are, and it's okay to say, you know, I'm really struggling with thinking I'm worthy for whatever reason. And if this is a fellow believer that's sharing it or you're sharing with, pray for one another. And if you know what, if that isn't overcoming and you're finding yourself so overcome by insecurity it's robbing you, it's okay to find professional help it's okay to seek out a Christian counselor and say, I just need someone to help me walk through this in a way that you identify and understand your worth in God. Here's the deal, folks. God wants you to know that you are valuable. God wants you to know you are worth his love. He wants to know you are loved. No matter what you've done, where you've missed it or you think, or what somebody has said over you. David was very different. He does eventually become king, but one thing about David I appreciate, David didn't live perfect, but what he is noted for, he was known as a friend of God. He knew God. And David lived a victorious life, and we note him as somebody who did a great job, but it wasn't because of all he did. It was because of God working through him and is allowing that to happen. I hope today that you'll walk from this place living in a confidence rather than what you do, your accomplishment is in who you are through Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you today so much for each person in this room. God, thank you that you've made us valuable. Each and every one of us, without exception. God, you saw us, you formed us, you created us, and God, we are worth Your value, God, you have placed high value on us so much that, God, you loved us to even go to the cross for us, to buy us back, that we would not be outside of your fold. Lord, today, for anyone who's here and and maybe has never said yes to Jesus because, Lord, they just haven't felt like they can or they're not even scared they want to because they just don't see themselves as adequate enough, Lord, help them to be able to say, Lord, I'm just coming to you by faith. I believe in you. Lord, trade my sense of unworth for the worth that you see in me. Today, you may be here and you are just struggling with insecurity. It has robbed you. It is incapacitating your life. And today, I would just invite you to offer that to Jesus. And just, Lord, I just pray right now for anyone right now who is battling that you would just, Lord, separate Lift that off of them. And Lord God, I pray that you would silence any negative self-talk that is robbing them of knowing who they are in you and that God, they would know how valuable, how special, how precious they are this day. And as they walk forth in this place, that they will know that and they will live into that no matter what other voice may come their way. And God, may we walk in a new victory and a new joy and a new peace of heart. Thank you that you have met us in this space. We pray in Jesus' name.